Today is St. John's Day, so I want to tell you a story about St. John the Evangelist. This cathedral is named after St. John, but the first thing I want to do is tell you a story about another John, John the Priest, not John the Evangelist. I want to tell you a story about a time in my life in which I was um, given the grace to remember and see what really matters. I became an Episcopalian um, during college at Auburn University. There's a wonderful Episcopal chapel there on the campus with a chaplain for the entire university. Auburn's a lot like Colorado State, one of this nation's great land-grant universities. And I started going to church there, and I just was deeply moved by this priest named John, John Cruz. He, he preached just really intellectual sermons. Um, I've never quite learned how to do that. <laughs> he was a, a great pastor. Um, he was really good with the liturgy, just, just reverent and traditional in the best sense of that word. Um, he had in his office just more bookshelves than I'd ever seen and more books than I'd ever seen in my entire life. So I imagine that being a priest was just reading and talking to people all the time. That's not exactly been my experience of being the dean of this cathedral. Um, I get to do that every now and then. He um, confirmed me, well, the bishop did that, but he, he got me confirmed. He married Catherine, my wife, and I, and he, he sent me to seminary. Just watching him do all of those things is the number one reason why then and now I knew that I wanted to be a priest. There was no grand vision. There was no words from heaven or anything like that. It was just watching someone who was really good and inspired by their own craft. I can't resist telling you as well when I think about John, he drank coffee at all hours of the day or night. And somehow he always had coffee grinds literally all over him. <laughs> and he smoked like a chimney. So I haven't followed his example in those two regards, but just a, a wonderful priest, God rest his soul. Years later, years later after I'd been ordained, I, I decided to go to a burial service in the next town over. And it was the Cardinal Parish there, the big parish up in North Alabama. They had lost their, their beloved uh, rector from a couple of generations ago, had died, a man named Bob Cook. And I decided to go to his service even though I didn't know Bob Cook. I think every now and then it's good to go to a burial of someone you really don't know. It gives you a lot to kind of think about and imagine that's perhaps more personal, namely that you too will die one day. So I sat there in the pews watching the service and here's what I noticed. John Cruz, my priest from college, was up there participating in the service, and that was confusing to me. John wasn't from North Alabama. So I found as the service went on, my mind wondering, why in the world um, is John there? And then finally in the sermon, the homilist said, well, Bob Cook is from Tuscaloosa. And so I knew immediately the connection between John and Bob. John's from Tuscaloosa. Does your mind ever wander in a church service where you try to figure these things out? <laughs> so after the service, I went up to John and said, hello and all that. And we hugged each other and said, it's great to see you. And I said, so I bet, I, I bet you're an Episcopal priest because of Bob Cook, whom we just buried. He said, Bob Cook is the reason why I know unconditional love. 
For me, it's a story I come back to every few years to remember why we do all of this and what's just below the surface every time we gather in a moment like this, if we have the bravery to feel it and admit it. The Book of Common Prayer describes sacraments and all of this as outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual grace. The outward and visible parts are important. They're important. They're beautiful, this soaring Gothic architecture, this amazing choir, so moving, the colorful stained glass, the mystery of being in a small person in a big room in an even bigger cosmos that God made. All of this matters, it's important. But underneath it, the inward and spiritual part is the thing, it's the more important part. Underneath the inward and spiritual part is the reality and the promise that we are loved unconditionally. Every last one of us is cherished by Jesus Christ and loved by Jesus Christ. In his birth, which matches our birth, in his life, which mirrors our life, in his death, which mirrors our death, even if you're not crucified, just being in that moment of letting go. And in resurrection too, the promise, the reality that we will be loved for something we cannot fathom and that's eternity, that we matter that much. That's the foundation, that's the promise, that's gives us this, what gives us the security that we can keep going on this journey. Someone told me once, God loves you just the way you are, but God loves you too much to let you stay that way. <laughs> and I think that's it. You, know, you, you, you feel it, you accept it, you experience it, and it's what empowers you to keep going because it's not over. You're just in the middle of the journey, if that. Keep, keep, keep going. I think about all of this when we read this gospel reading for St. John's Day. This gospel comes at the very end of John's gospel. So we're literally, we're literally at the end. This is John's last story. And the narrator says that Peter, whom we know so well at this point, Peter sees the disciple, and this is the quote, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then the narrator wants to make sure that you and I don't miss it. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who was reclining next to Jesus at the meal. Artists love that story. This is the, the beloved anonymous disciple whom they sometimes portray in art is, is literally reclining against the breast of Jesus. And Peter points that out. Here at the end of all the things he could talk to with the risen Christ about, of everything Peter could have covered in that moment, Peter points out the beloved disciple and asks about that person. I think I know why. I think Peter's jealous. You know, I think he's just curious and jealous. Does Jesus love the beloved disciple more than Peter himself? Who knows? 
there are all kinds of theories about who the beloved disciple is because the name is never given from the beginning to the end of John, certainly not here. One theory is that the beloved disciple is John the evangelist. That's actually the theory that we're living into this morning. This gospel reading is appointed by the Book of Common Prayer for the feast of St. John, the implication being the beloved disciple is John the evangelist. There are a lot of other theories, though, about who the beloved disciple is. One theory is that it's Mary Magdalene. That's really interesting. We can imagine reasons why a female disciple would not be named. Another theory, and this one's super interesting, is that it's Lazarus, the one who was resuscitated 10 chapters ago. My favorite theory is, and no one knows what's right, but my favorite theory is that the beloved disciple is anonymous for a reason. Trust the text. John knew what John was doing. And the beloved disciple is anonymous because it's you and me. All of us can draw near to the Savior's chest. All of us are cherished and can have that intimate of relationship with God incarnate. All of us matter. In other words, Peter... Peter, you are God's favorite. We are God's favorite. All of us are God's favorite unless we forget that our neighbor is too. St. John's Cathedral has, has actually two official names, which might explain why sometimes we're a little bit neurotic. So one of our official names is actually St. John's in the Wilderness. Do some of you know this? Good, a lot of you are nodding. When I first learned that we were named St. John's in the Wilderness, I assumed that we were named after John the Baptist, the one whom the scriptures call the voice proclaiming in the wilderness, the voice speaking in the wilderness. But no, we're we're actually named after John the Evangelist. And the story is this, that when we were founded, well before we were a cathedral, we were just a, a parish church. In the latter half of the 19th century, the bishop said, you can be St. John's, but you have to be St. John's in the wilderness because the closest Episcopal church is 700 miles away in Kansas. True story, true story. So we then were, were in the wilderness. If you were going to rename us now, I, I, I would vote for St. John's in the city. We are very much so in the city. But I love that we maintain that older title. And I think it speaks to exactly what we always face and exactly what our holy and high calling is. The wilderness is real then and now. I think any time an adult a child, any person doubts that they are loved unconditionally. That's the wilderness. That's the wilderness. And it still exists. Our high and holy calling is to love God and to love our neighbor. And the part we often forget to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And don't neglect and don't think it's selfish to love yourself. That's a part of the foundation. I I love and every now and then imagine 
why it is that a chef never serves food that the chef has not tasted. And I think the same thing is true for us as Christians and Episcopalians. We cannot share the love of God unless it's something we experience and taste and trust from the inside out at our very core. So come to this altar table. Make your home around it and find your home in this great story that's the end of John's gospel. Receive what you hope to share.